I want us to become brothers again like we used to be, and for us to find ourselves and bond with each other. Can we agree to that? Opinions vary. Welcome to Three Brothers Filmcast, a monthly roundtable podcast where the brothers behind threebrothersfilm.com have substantial, nuanced conversations about film. I'm Aaron Bergstrom, and I'm here with my brothers. Anders. And Anton. My last name is the same as my brother's. And we're donning our Kevlar vests and gassing up the Humvee to talk about Michael Bay's Ambulance. We'll also extend the conversation to discuss the movie's muted box office reception and the place for the action genre in contemporary cinema. But first, we want to thank you for listening and for joining us on our journey through film. If you want to help grow the podcast, please leave five-star ratings and reviews and recommend us to your family and friends. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Three Brothers Film. If you've been enjoying our conversations and our writing, please consider supporting us on Patreon. But now, on to the show. Okay, Ramblers, let's get rambling. That's my brother, Will. I could use some help. My wife needs this surgery. This is real life. How's that right? You put your life down on the line for this country? You leave your family, your home? How much do you need? 231. How about more? 32 million. I need an extra man. I came to you for a loan. Look, have I ever gotten you anything that I couldn't get you out of? It's time for you to do something for your family. In my March 2021 Letterboxd review for Michael Bay's The Rock, I wrote the following. As his 10th rule of writing, Elmer Leonard wrote that you should try to leave out the part that readers tend to skip. This action spectacular is the cinematic equivalent of that literary maxim. Michael Bay identifies every single moment where the viewer's interest might lag and either cuts it or makes it interesting by amplifying the filmmaking to ludicrously energetic degrees. While I was saying this in reference to The Rock, a movie that I reviewed back in 2017 for the site, and which I've come to think is one of the best movies of the 1990s, it could also apply to Michael Bay's latest film, Ambulance. Ambulance follows Jake Gyllenhaal and Yahya Abdul-Mateen II as two bank-robbing brothers who take an EMT, played by Isa Gonzalez, hostage when the robbery doesn't go according to plan. Their getaway vehicle is a commandeered ambulance, which they drive through the streets and highways of Los Angeles, desperately trying to lose the cops while the EMT tries to keep an injured police officer alive in the back of the ambulance. The cop is their hostage, but also their lifeline. If he dies, they know the cops won't hold back until they're dead too. Advertised as Bay going back to basics after spending much of the past two decades making Transformers movies, Ambulance is relatively low budget, costing only $40 million. But it's anything but a small movie. It's hyperactive, brutally violent, and breathless. It runs 136 minutes, but the minutes fly by as Bay never slows down once the high-speed chase through the streets of Los Angeles begins. The film is chock-full of cars flipping, bullets careening off sheet metal, and Jake Gyllenhaal endlessly screaming in Yaya Abdul-Mateen's ear. It's a lot to take in, and every second of screen time seems to have a dozen cuts contained within it. But disabuse yourself of the notion that Ambulance is mindless chaos. There's nothing mindless about how Bay constructs his movies. Sure, it's hyperactive, but every cut, every shot of police officers racing across pavement, of the ambulance weaving around cars, every impossible drone shot of the camera cartwheeling above action in the streets of LA is calculated and choreographed. Bay employs intensified continuity to amplify every emotion on screen. Sometimes this approach can feel like he's pummeling the viewer into mindless submission, such as in Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. But sometimes it feels like an adrenaline shot, as in The Rock and now Ambulance. The process is not mindless but rather the work of a master of action filmmaking. Yeah, that's right. A master. While the comment might be controversial, it's time we admit that Michael Bay is one of the most influential and talented action directors of the past 30 years. He may be the most divisive major Hollywood director working today, depending on how you feel about Zack Snyder. 
But his movies, including The Rock, Armageddon, The Bad Boys films, and his five Transformers movies have helped shape the way Hollywood shoots action. However, within the cinephile community, admitting that Michael Bay is an influential auteur is contrarian, bordering on laughable, and saying that he's a major influential figure? Well, that might just be crazy. But Ambulance makes clear that Bay is a director worth reckoning with, and one who is still able to make an action movie that dazzles and excites as much as The Rock did back in 1995. Am I being hyperbolic about a movie that's about as hyperactive as they come? I know that Anders has similarly come to admire many of Bay's films, so I'll pose the question to you, Anton. Is Ambulance mindless, disposable action entertainment, or the work of a master of action cinema? I don't think Bay's a master. I think he's a, a seasoned and strong craftsman of action, but I don't think he's a master of cinema because I don't think he's mastered all the dimensions of it. And so like a movie like Ambulance, which is actually probably one of my favorite Bay movies, still doesn't connect with me in like the total form. Like I still don't love the story, even though I applaud a lot of the action technique. So Anders, what, what, where do you come down on Ambulance? I agree that Ambulance is one of Bay's best films in a long time. I appreciated it as a, a piece of action filmmaking freed from the constraints of science fiction or superheroes and or the sort of cartoonish extremes that we, we might find in other action franchises like Fast and the Furious. Although, yeah, you yeah. know, I think there's a, <laughs> there's a borderline here, right? I mean, like, in one sense, uh, I, I'm not describing base films as super realistic, let's be honest here. Um, it's not realism, but it it's um, within sort of the action conventions of a previous era. Yeah. It's not sort of ballooned into even more sort of fanciful, even more sci-fi-ish, like a lot of our action cinema. Today. Yeah, and even compared to, like, Bay's last few films, including his Netflix film Six Underground and the Transformers films are definitely pushed into the realm of fantastical science fiction gadgets and obviously giant space robots and things like that. This is relatively stripped down. At its best, though, it, it reminds me of yeah other Los Angeles film set action films with big car chases. Um, I think you and I noted that there's a great scene set in the uh, the sort of spillways of the Los Angeles River that recalls uh, some of the great moments in Terminator Two and things like that. Yeah, and it yep. gives us some and, and but it also shows how Bay is able to still craft those like iconic images. Uh, there's a, there's a really great sort of almost uh, sort of face on shot of like the ambulance with a the camera lens is extreme, shortening the uh, the focal length so that you get the two helicopters chasing the ambulance imposed like right. They looks like they're right behind it. it. So in that sense, I do think Bay is a technical master um, of you know so many of his techniques. As I wrote in my review of Armageddon, a film which you know if we want to get to talking about ideology and Bay's sort of more controver actually controversial elements um, we, we can talk more about later um, but I, I mentioned in that review that what what Bay does really well is he plays well with iconography he plays well with crafting uh, memorable images he's no, he's he's more kinetic he's all and constantly moving than Zack Snyder who you know, yeah, I think actually yeah. builds on him in a lot of, but Snyder loves the tableau yeah Bay can craft an iconic shot but his camera's always moving and I think the most notable thing about Ambulance that I loved is his further adaptation of drone footage and the 
the promise that drone photography offers you in shooting action so that you can get those sort of otherworldly shots while um, still having real vehicles and real oh, yeah. cars and things like that. So no yeah. CGI, but you can get basically what 20 years ago would have been a CGI-only shot and looked really bad, uh, but you can get it in camera for real. Is he using... Like, I didn't see Six Underground. Is he using drone footage in that? Yeah. There's, there's a few shots, yeah. Though. Okay, okay, so that's... Not nearly to the degree. Precursors. But I think, I think you've hit on something that, again, if, if we could peel back what people surmise as Bay's ideological preoccupations in his movies, I think a lot of these cinephile people on Twitter and whatnot would, should be drawn to Bay for the fact that he is bringing back, or at least still using, like, practical filmmaking. The fact that he... This is a $40 million movie that he's blowing up actual yeah, cars. Yeah, this is a lean, a lean production. No, but like the shot, the car is getting just absolutely demolished. Things blowing up, people getting slamming into walls, the the squibs, the bullets. There's not, it's not CGI because CGI is expensive. Yep. Well, <laughs> like, Anton, recall when the movie was over, we stayed through the credits and they're very short. Yeah, there's very not short arm, credits. I, I'm like not a, a ten minute Disney animated movie credit sequence. No, but so like if you if people can, are constantly carping about the film action filmmaking specifically becoming more and more divorced from reality, then you should want to champion somebody like Michael Bay who makes insane things happen in camera on set. Like the stuff that he does with the drone in this, it's mind boggling to me because it is so choreographed and yet it is it is absolutely like an, a mad rush. So I was thinking about that. Like it would be extremely, he must be working with multiple cameras plus multiple drones because when you see a car flip, like you can't repeat that twice and have it sort of come together. He's always done that though. Yeah. But like, so what are, what are some of the standout like drone moments for you? Like for me, there's a moment where the, the, the drone like zips underneath like a yeah. flipping um, police car and like it goes right underneath it. And it's just like, the timing is like brilliant and it, it is the kind of shot that could only have been digital previously. So it's, it's pretty amazing that it's actually captured with a, like a camera, physical it, camera. It, it's, it's not, but it's not just like he's doing these things. Um, it's not like he's doing these drone shots as standalones to be mm -hmm. like impressive. He's co incorporated into all the other action filmmaking and all the other cuts. So he'll have, yeah. he'll have that shot going, you know, diagonal parallel across the, the five uh, police officers running across the rooftop, right? And the their action is coming towards the frame while the drone is moving diagonally across them. So you get the nice classic parallel action lines. And yeah. then that cuts to things happening on the ground while the momentum is carried into the next thing, right? It's 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 He's parallel editing. He's using the building momentum of individual cuts to constantly amplify, amplify. And the thing that makes Bay so overwhelming is that he never stops amplifying right mm -hmm. yeah like it's built well, like build, that build, build, and like build. that drone shot i mentioned was like right like that that's less than a second maybe like yeah. you maybe a couple couple seconds most like it's not like a standalone like feature yeah. shot that you're like savoring he, so he's doing these cool shots but they're just part of the kind of the the, the action montage maybe the only scene in the film that is like showy is the one that comes down i believe it's los angeles city hall yeah, uh, and then where a drone comes straight down the side of the building and then cuts into the traffic, starts following the convoy of police cars, and then it's yeah. racing along. It's almost like as if you could somehow fly down and then like jump on a motorcycle and like weave in and out of the traffic. It's so, using that like Peter Jackson camera that he uses in like Lord of the Rings, where it like swoops down Isengard and like all around. I've been an admirer of uh, 
becoming interested in drone photography. There, you know, I've even, there's a few people I follow on YouTube, uh, Jaybird Films out of Minneapolis and others who, they're doing some pretty amazing stuff with drones, like, and the timing. These, these drones are not very big, uh, and yet they can still shoot in, like, super HD, and uh, they're, I believe the way that they're operated now is in VR headsets, so that the operator is essentially playing like a video game and yeah, has to like crazy. time it to yeah. get these things so i'm actually interested in learning who some of the cinematographers are who are working with uh, bay on this too it's it's especially interesting though also with the drone stuff because it's bay gets a lot of you know he's he's obsessed with the toys of military and police scene and the idea of big guns and big weapons and all these things and that kind of filmmaking drone technology is actually a like micro prosumer version of military drone technologies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. so you putting on the VR headset and flying your little drone around upside and down in a bowling alley is a micro consumer version of the person flying it over northern Pakistan. Yeah. Which it again it, it's like it's re- it is hard to parse out the ideological implications of this kind of focus in mm-hmm. storytelling on on in film because he's also relying on police departments on military to give them equipment the fact that he makes them look really badass is part of the reason why they allow him to use the stuff. It's the whole infamous thing in Armageddon, right, where there was a literal spy plane in the background, and the military's like, "Yeah, you should put that in the background because it looks really awesome." Yeah, and it would have so been two, What it is, it's in the in the hand. Yeah, there are two SR seventy one Blackbirds, which were still classified at the time. Yeah, but they're like, "Well, Bay's gonna look make it look badass, so let him show it on camera because that's how propaganda works." And Bay, being a filmmaker, is like, "I don't care. It looks sweet. Let's put it in." And and I, the other thing I'll say about the way Bay. Uh, does that though i mean he's always pushing the technology forward he also draws on i think some similarities to what you find in some hong kong filmmaking actually ironically um so like what so so one example would be that a lot of times in hong kong uh films the the, in the editing and the way that action scenes are constructed so a lot of people talk you know not all hong kong movies are are long single takes a lot of times they still use coverage and you cut things from multiple angles to get the best, because the fight is just going to flow, and you got to shoot the whole thing. But they're obviously much lower budget, but you, you get a lot of coverage, but then you edit for maximum impact, and I think that is the right term to use for something maximum like impact. So you're actually yeah. taking... Di- um, you see this in see even Jackie Chan movies. Jackie Chan will dial, not, uh, extend the action, draw it out longer, so you'll actually see a punch like twice. The, the classic thing is Jackie Chan goes, bop, bop. You don't see the hit one time, you see it two times, and it actually helps your mind. So even if it's very quick, it helps your mind to process what's going on and very cl- clearly see the action. Bay does the same thing. There's a, they're shot in the rock in the, the scene when uh, Sean Connery's character takes the, the Humvee and trying to escape from prison, which is an interesting scene because it was actually added and shot after the fact because Bay noted that people's attention lagged. He does a lot of test screening, a lot of making sure that audiences don't... If people get up, too many people get up and go to the bathroom, you put more action in there. It's the thing I said cut. off the top, Exactly. The it, that's, like, literally what he does. It's his operating principle of filming. So in this scene, uh, you'll have, like, a, a, a car smash into each other, and you'll actually see the car smash three times, but in quick succession. So even though there are, like, a dozen cuts, you're actually getting, like, to see the action multiple times, which is a kind of classic thing to do. Okay, but that's why that's why I use the term intensified continuity. He is expanding and contracting time and space in action scenes to play with the emotion of the viewer, which is why I term him 
a master because he absolutely knows what every single contraction and amplification is doing to the person watching it. It is so fine-tuned. But here, I guess, here's my here's my question I'll put to you. Because So this kind of gets to the heart of, I don't know, shaky cam, uh, wild edited action, right? Um, which in some sense has sort of declined in its from its peak, like maybe a decade ago. But the Bourne films, um, yeah, like the, I'm thinking of Paul Greengrass in you know Bourne supremacy, where like you can almost can't even tell what's going on. But so like people will still complain about that with ambulance. And my question is, so you're claiming that it's masterful and it all makes sense. A segment of the audience says they have no idea what's going on. It looks like just like a mash of editing, and so. I'm just wondering, like, how do we parse out, like, what's effective, um, super, super fast editing action, super um, well done sort of shaky, shaky cam action from just kind of like a mess on screen. So, like, if you're going to make your case, like, what what is it you're pointing to to show, like, this is actually conscious, well put together? Well, I, I would point out the line, the, the lines of movement that Aaron talks about. I think the edits go together very seamlessly. They're not just uh, casually put together. They usually follow uh, on each other, if not match cuts, uh, yeah. clear, clear spatial orientation despite it happening. And so this is why it is that Boardwell intensified continuity and not just a mess. I would actually say, though, that a lot of the most popular movies today that are actually slower are the ones that are incomprehensible, that um, there's no real thought put to why you move a camera to one side or the other. There are times where it intentionally, here's another example, intentionally obscures action rather than revealing. Bay likes to show it all. This leads to some of the like brutal violence in some of his movies and the <laughs> loud crushing metal and things like that. But he he shows it. He's he's never obscuring or cutting away. Yeah. Okay, and like and I'm with you on the lines of action. It's not um like it's it is easy to follow if you sort of just go with the flow of the edits. And um and I'm also with you on like I think he's smart about how he's arranging things on screen. Aaron's already talked about how like, you know, using drone shots to sort of do an intensified version of sort of like the the parallel lines of action. You know, Bane's, Bane's great at moving the camera in ways that work with or against her, the characters or action on screen. Okay, what what else? Uh, Aaron, what do you think? I'm going to say that people have objections to Bay movies specifically, not because they find it incomprehensible. It's that they find the content objectionable. And it's... So you think it's a content issue, not a form issue? Exactly. Because I actually, when people say... What is happening in the Transformers movies? They're incomprehensible. And they mean that visually, right? But that's not true. It's actually really easy to follow what is happening in an action scene, where it's going. It's all overwhelming. It's all yeah. re- really amplified. But you always know who is in distress, which at, which villain is where, where they are in relation to each other. What is the threat? What are the possible ways of dealing with the threat? Where are the characters that are vulnerable? Where's the character that can hear, save something? It's it like, yeah, it's constantly moving. But the thing that's incomprehensible to them is that, wait, there's a bunch of like robot alien mythology playing here about getting some gobbledygook MacGuffin to go to this spot to get this sword to get this character to not be brainwashed to come back here like you know what I mean it's 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 yeah, yeah. in those cases it's the storytelling that's incomprehensible Born Supremacy is a movie that you know Paul Greengrass's style actually I think does push the level of aesthetic like understanding where he wants it when Born is like activated you know like yeah. quote unquote yeah that you don't know 
he's it's it's like an incon you know subconscious completely just he turns on and kills somebody and then it's over in michael bay movies he's not interested in like confusing planes of action confusing cause and effect what he does is that he actually takes the cause and effect and he as he as anders pointed out he like blows it up where you're seeing the cause and effect three or four times to make sure that your brain is processing that emotional punch and that sometimes i think overstimulates people but it's not actually incomprehensible it's just too much knights autobots this cannot and will not be the end to save Earth and her people, we are going to steal Quintess's staff. Only you, Vivian, can take it back. I will lead the way into her chamber. And when the account of the ages is etched into the cosmos, let those who exist long after us know that this was our finest hour. Just so that I'm thinking like with Greengrass mm-hmm. on the, this sort of tangent. So like Born Supremacy, uh, Born Ultimatum, those two movies on some sense are almost pushing like the shaky cam fast editing to like to almost like expressionism through through montage. Agree. Right. Like it, it, it's almost trying not to. It's not so much like what's being literally conveyed, but like the effect and the emotion almost that's like being um, expressed through that. But, like, Bay's not doing that. No, I think there's a... And one of the key distinctions might be this, Anton, that the use of shaky cam in something like Greengrass or some other, especially, like, war films, is an attempt to use the logic of documentary film to emotionally affect the tenor of the film, right? Yeah. So the idea is that if you're carrying a camera around, it's shaking as you walk. Uh, you know, if you're running and it's really, like, you're looking this way and this way and it blurs, you get a lot of the motion blur. In Greengrass, yep. right? And of course, he's building on the like the Saving Private Ryan. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and but and the idea here is that you have a literate audience, a film literate audience, to some degree, in the sense that they've been raised on moving images and they associate that shaky cam, and, and like say blood on the screen and stuff like that with realism. Yeah. Right. Even though, as you point out, it's actually quite expressionistic in the sense that it now is, you might start asking questions, self-reflexive questions. But wait, does that mean there's a cameraman following the character in the movie that the blood mm-hmm. hits the camera? Things like that. Right. And Bay is not like that in the sense that Bay actually does want you to forget. Yes. To some degree about it. He is more classical Hollywood in the sense that mm. he, he wants to suck you in, but he never wants to have you like rest or sit down. Yeah. You, your eyes need to be on the screen the whole time. It's like better if you're pop drinking cola and shoving candy in your mouth while you do it, even better, right? Like Is that not the signature of like ambulance where it's just like it won't stop no and like the whole like you know he's, he's chosen a, a great we're like a shark like, we don't stop so I, i'm with you on like bay's technique i think he's actually selected like a, a premise and a storyline that works to sort of like channel his interest like his formal interest into like a, a story and there's like i think there's even like um there's echoes of uh oh, what do you call it driving the truck through the, the mountain you got to get the to the mine wages of fear yeah wages Sorcerer, of fear yeah. like this the idea that like we can't stop and like how many mm-hmm. times did jill and all say like we can't stop we're not stopping and like it like it's it's a good idea for the and i think you know he's taking it from i think it's a danish film 2005 um i don't like i guess like i'm not with you 100 percent on no, that th- that's fine that's fine so i have to clarify here that i like i think ambulance is one of michael bay's best movies because 
I think the story is extremely elegant. It allows them to play to his strength, yes, which is yes. amplified action. It is very small and very deliberate character moments that build motivation, build a kind of coherent philosophy of individuals versus systems. And the idea of underdogs, of morals, under crisis, and things like that, which he loves to play with in all of his movies. So it's, it's a really good fit of material with his mm-hmm. specific formal approach. But then it's also that it cuts down on, like, the objectionable stuff, which is, you know, I like the Bad Boys movies. They're not my favorite Michael <laughs> Bay movies. But there's a oh, lot man. of really racy, really gross humor in them. And some of it's funny, but it's like, that's in bad taste, that's in bad taste. And there, this movie doesn't give you the breathing space to have much stuff in bad taste. There's a few moments that you could say that they cross into it, but it almost forgets that to move because it has to continue the pacing. Mm-hmm. So one of the things with mm. why I like talking, it's actually... I'm happy that we can talk about Michael Bay finally on this podcast with this movie because I think this is a movie that speaks to his strengths far more than it does his weaknesses. And so it allows us to pull on the threads of what he actually does well because this movie does it very coherently. So one of the things that, like, in the in the filmmaking sense, in the way his camera works, is the camera is constantly situating your emotions with the with the characters, but it is not putting your understanding with the characters. Your understanding is always on an external sense, which is why the parallel editing is very important. You're always aware of the dramatic irony that is playing outside of screen for these characters. So you know things that Will and Danny don't. You know what's going on in the back of the ambulance with um, Cam. You know about the FBI guy. You know about um, Garrett Dillahunt's um, SIS guy, (laughs) Captain Monroe. So you know all the various layers here and the trap that's going to be sprung with the cartel guys. So there's there's kind of a Hitchcockian, you know it's coming, and it plays on the idea of... In, um, genuine suspense, expecta- genuine suspense. Yes, but genuine suspense, but also expectations where the fact that you know more than the character, the clarity of the information being relayed to you, the exposition being relayed to you, is actually key for the formal elements to play. Mm-hmm. Like, it wouldn't be exciting if you didn't know that there was suspense, build, payoff. And then it expl- literally explodes on... Sorry, just one more thing here, and it's it's the fact that... This movie is also insanely elegant in how it puts character motivation and stakes. It spends, like, the opening scene is Will on the phone with the insurance company. And it is a scene of desperate frustration. And that's all you need to know why he would be willing to rob the bank. Just like you get the little bits with Cam and her partner and the fact that she saves the little girl who's impaled, which is a really grisly scene, yeah, yeah. and, and she has to turn it off. And it's this idea of, like, I'm just there to save the people. I'm just there to save the people. And it's her moral conscious, Will's moral conscious, conflicting in the different ways they express it with Danny as this, this kind of insatiable character of go, 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 go. And there's nothing... I, I'm frankly baffled at people who are talking about this movie being like, the characters are incoherent, the characters are inconsistent, they make weird decisions. I'm like, these characters... Are, if anything, it's like modest in its character construction, but it is so obviously clear what the motivations of the characters are at any given moment that I, I'm like, this yeah, is actually a great case of character construction for an action movie. Well, for me, it's a little bit too drummed in. It's like, yeah, you know, like, you know, you know that like Will's going to like, oh, I got to. Gotta He's the protect, good guy. Gotta protect him. I'm the good guy. Like, <laughs> so uh, one last thing I'll make, Never in com- <laughs> make a comment about the way the, the editing plays to his strengths, actually. Um, so I think going back to why some people find Bay's films incomprehensible, 
it, it's something I got at in my last viewing and reviewing of Armageddon, film that I've actually watched a lot of times. I actually weirdly saw it twice in theaters when it came out in '98. I don't think I actually think I like it. No, I don't. <laughs> I have major reservations about that film, but what I, what I noticed I've seen it is ten that, times, but I've major I have, reservations. Yeah. So <laughs> is that Bay? He doesn't. I explained. I think the other day that he doesn't do sequences. There's there's no actual like. Each scene bleeds into the next, and this goes with that momentum, right? So it's sorry. You mean ed- he doesn't do proper scenes? There's not proper scenes. If you're reading a script, it would yes. just be cut away. It would be like interior, continuous, 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 continuous. Exactly. So Bay builds momentum that way. He just keeps it going. So he relies a lot on the visual. Uh, essentially, you're creating montage. Yep. Yep. I, I described it as like Eisensteinian, and I think that there, when we talk about ideology, we can talk about the way he does that. But what's in a, in a big film like mm. Armageddon or even Pearl Harbor, I actually don't think it works as well. You At a certain point, you reach like saturation or it becomes ridiculous. Like Things become too isolated from uh, a sort of larger structure of a screenplay. In Ambulance, though, because it is relatively self-contained, it all takes place within one day, uh, you know, these kind of things, then you can actually have that momentum make sense, right? Because essentially the whole film becomes one long sequence. Yep, it's another of those, like, you know, like, one last go, a bad day, things go wrong. But, but like, what is, what is what is Bay's signature thing, right? It's the contraction expansion of mm-hmm. time and space on screen. This movie literally is one chase. Yep. Because expanded and contracted Once they get into the, the ambulance, it's just yep. the entire... Though I don't want to undersell, I actually think that the the bank robbery scene and the, the yeah, bank agree, yeah. fighting is a great action bank robbery scene. scene. Is the most uh, Michael Mann portion yeah. of the. It's also really loud. <laughs> the the other the film that I re- Anton I think I mentioned to you in the theater was uh, not not just Heat but actually the more recent uh, Denethy with uh, Jared yes, Butler yes. that has like L A sequences and is kind of more of a uh, adrenaline soaked uh, version of like Heat in a lot of hmm. ways. I actually haven't seen that one. Well worth watch. It, you have to view it as a as a repetition of Heat. It is. As it if, is like, the characters would watch Reheat and be like, we're going to do Heat. Sort of like the not, way that the characters meta. in this are oh, aware yeah. of The Rock. In and one of the great, boys. One of the great moments of the film, right? Yeah, I love how self-referential it's, it is. It's so, it's so, uh, like, brash and in your face. I love that he put that in the movie. It is, but don't you find it interesting, like... See, I think this is another situation of Bay understanding what button to push to make an audience comprehend a character with one moment. And so having the dynamic between the, the veteran partner and the rookie partner, and the rookie partner is the one who gets shot and ends up in the back of the ambulance, the fact that it's all about a girl and posturing, and their understanding of posturing as cool cops is created by bad boys. So it's the idea that, like, the movies themselves are talking to each other because in the culture of cop culture, bad boys has such a overarching um, influence on the way that people view themselves as cool police officers that can pick up <laughs> chicks and be like badasses. Yeah. And but like by having that moment in there, it's funny and it got a big laugh in my theater, but it's just also you get these guys as caricatures or archetypes or whatever, like, you know, varying degrees. I would say like Will, Cam, 
and uh, Danny all kind of push towards more toward the archetypal action character. Well, the, some of the cop characters are very much just little caricatures or cliches, but it's it's about the idea that they're really understandable in just like one moment, one scene, and you get this person what they're for, what they're against, and and what they're going to do moving forward. So before we get into, I think you're bringing up a lot of good stuff about sort of characterization, condensed exposition, and then I'd like to talk about the performances. But and mm-hmm. you guys <laughs> just got me thinking about like, so like, you know, this movie being a distillation of 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 Bay. In what sense is like that the police officer who's like his body right is in the ambulance well, I mean he's alive he's, he's in the ambulance and he it's like in some sense he's almost like a symbol of the audience for Bay where it's like we're gonna keep pushing it as far as we can go but he's gotta, we gotta keep him alive and it like and there's this like there's that just like embodies like kind of his approach to film where it's like I just want to like push it as far as I can but we got to keep it. We got to keep it like, you know, keep it going. And like, there's just something about that. Like that just, it just sort of popped into my head. I'm like, ah, like this movie does, does really bring out a lot of his, uh, his preoccupations. Mm-hmm. And a certain type of action cinema that is not made very much anymore, which we'll get into later. But like, it is a throwback to not to the, you know, 1960s or seventies, but to the 1990s. Yeah. So with these characters, so um, as maybe as a bridge, like, right? Like the, the formal, but also character aspects, right? Like, so Bay, he can, he picks out like a couple images that are shown in a very fast cuts, but that tells you so much about a character. So, right, just showing like the, the, the images of like his war medals tells you so much about Will and then like just a snippet of him on the phone and like, oh, I was in Afghanistan. Like, and that, as Anders, you said to me, like after like the movie, like that tells you everything you need to know basically about Will. Mm-hmm. And then the imagery flashbacks of them yeah. as boys. As boys. Yeah. And Bay is really good. Yeah, and that's how it opens, right? That's yep. how it opens. The with them boys, as kids. Yep. yep. The boys playing, uh, you know, with guns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, the... Yeah, it's interesting to think about these characters as Bay characters to a degree. Aaron, you know, you said some of the archetypes that Bay likes. He has the, you know, there's there's a, a strong course of individuality, which I want to come back to in a minute. But, um, you know, the, the macho dude, you have the, you know, there's like the gruff characters, the older characters. There's the, and as you said, the high energy nerds, the, uh, you know, Charlotte Booth or uh, Nicolas Cage and The Rock, yeah. these kind yeah. of characters. Um, do you think these characters fit in with that, or are they kind of combining some, or in what ways do you think? I think they're combinations. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think the I think yeah. the um, I think that Garrett Dillahunt's cop, Captain Monroe. <laughs> you somehow have that just burned in your brain. I keep yeah, I did not well, of course, Captain of course, Monroe. he's Captain Monroe. It's just for some reason he's Captain Monroe. <laughs> It but I think he up. fits into kind of the gruff mentor character as he, the way he plays with the other cops and he just has that kind of screen presence. Yeah. Of course, he's not big on it, but the central dynamic is between the three, right? Will, Danny, and Cam. Mm-hmm. I think Cam is kind of the high energy nerd, but without the quirkiness because she has the technical know-how. She's the, mm-hmm. obviously the EMT in the back. She's able to do all these different things and she is like really, I don't know. There's just, there's a kind she's of like- She's a rare active energy. female protagonist in Bay. She is. I is think there, this is a is case there, of Bay reacting this, against I think criticism. this is like interesting that she takes on a lot of the characteristics of sort of the- the, the, the audience anchor characters. I think it's split between her and Will, but- um, yeah. But she's yeah. also somewhat of an outsider within her profession, right? She is. Yeah. No, exactly. She's the character. You, you have the scene with her and her partner earlier 
her new partner and no one likes her yeah exactly oh this is why people don't talk to you and like oh you're just you're really all business and stuff and it is similar to like you know good speed in the rock or um ben affleck in armageddon and stuff those kind of characters who are set up as this um exemplary outsider almost Mm -hmm. that they're that ability that the thing that makes them on the outside of social circles is the thing that makes them well equipped to deal with emergencies yeah yeah um i think will is very much his classic like not classic but a a more um one of the things he's become more interested in recent years which is the idea of the like um the tragic man of of honor yeah yeah i was gonna say man of honor too Because like that tells you everything you need to know about Will, and you're like, and it's the even though we're robbing, we're robbing the bank. Like I'm gonna keep them alive. I'm gonna. Yep. The un. It's the idea of like the unfair world, the burden of institutions crushing this this one yeah. individual of honor, right? And he's the man who gave everything for. But this I think country. it makes that's where it makes it gain some poignancy, especially coming out when it is now after the failures of Afghanistan and the healthcare failures. It's like the film. In but this it's already sense, back in the. Sorry, finish. I think the film earns it in a in a way building on some of those uh, current events and things like but that. that also like that's already back to the rock right yeah like the yeah, villain yeah, right ed harris the vil- like, ed harris's is villain in the these, rock these like he had has these like wars yeah yeah so he has some I, like reasons and motivations can i read a couple quotes that i wrote from my review of 2017 from the rock yes and this honestly you can almost cut and paste this right into ambulance and this is why these movies are the kind of the two bookends of his career of understanding it and (laughs) specifically his belief in individuals so it's the rock outlines that bay's distrust of institutions and his unwavering belief in the righteousness of individuals for bay the individual compensates for the deficiency of the institution the hero is never a grunt within the military structure itself or in this case cops or what have you it's instead he is almost always an outsider who takes over where the military or institutions have failed so like harry stamper in armageddon yeah no, yes <laughs> and why <laughs> we gotta bring in too. the rigs yeah, yeah. But, but just don't trust anyone else to do it that's the exact quote he has so you're saying you'll help us yes sir thanks just don't trust anybody else to do it that's all it's the thing that people i think always fail to understand with bay is that his characters always exist in um relation to institutions like the police and military but they are never defined by it and they're always actually fighting against it because there's always some kind of corruption or red tape or something that is holding them back and it's the idea of institutional failure is often the thing that motivates the villains and you know, you get this obviously in The Rock with Ed Harris's general or colonel, whatever it is. You get this in his Benghazi movie. Yeah. <laughs> you get this in the Transformers movies, even with the idea of the conspiracy of John Turturro's CIA yep. guy yep. who's yep. keeping everything under wraps. It's this idea that it's the know-how, the heroism, the ingenuity of individuals that have to compensate for the fact that institutions will and continue to lie to you the institutions such as the military and the police might have the tools necessary to actually do the job but it can never be them that carries it out it always has to be the person with an actual moral conscience that carries it forward what's your contingency plan contingency plan your backup plan you gotta have some kind of backup plan right no, we don't have a backup plan. This is it. And this is the best that you could that the, the government the u.s government can come up with I mean, you, you're NASA for crying out loud. You put a man on the moon. You're geniuses. You're, you're the guys that think his shit up. 
I'm sure you got a team of men sitting around somewhere right now just thinking shit up and somebody backing them up. You tell me you don't have a backup plan that these eight Boy Scouts right here, that is the world's hope? That's what you're telling me? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. But then if you take this into something, you take, 600 grand takes that it's, to the extent extreme. of ludicrous fantasy. It's extreme, so you fantasy. have literally like these billionaires fake their own deaths so that they can meet a justice in the global stage because the you know governments can't be trusted to do it but, but then if you take this back to ambulance it's a tragic sense right mm -hmm. it's will tries to take things into his own hands to try and save why his six wife underground who's dealing with cancer and he can't afford the treatment because his insurance won't cover anything that's deemed experimental <laughs> the, the amount of contempt <laughs> that he puts into that line reading and yeah. but here he's drawn oh, in yeah. because of the bonds of family so again it's character construction it's the fact that even though he's warned against don't call danny don't call danny he has to because danny's his only outlet and he knows it's like well he's my brother at the end of the day i love him i love my brother <laughs> I, I really like actually like the two lead performances in this film a lot i think you know, I like all three of them. Yeah, leads. well, no, yeah, all the leads. Sorry, I shouldn't leave out Gonzalez. But, like, Gyllenhaal's, this is, like, great Gyllenhaal, where he's, like, in his, like, crazy mode, uh, just chewing scenery, but in, in a way, like, his his big grin, you can just tell he's having so much fun. Uh, and, and Yaya Abdul-Mateen here, like, I, I really liked him in the role. It made me feel like it was sad that in The Matrix he had to be, like, imitating Morpheus because I'm like, just let him play a character. He's, he's good. What did you guys think? I thought all... All three of them were good, but, like, I think that, for me, like, Jake Gyllenhaal kind of, like, steals the show. Yeah. And I think it's just partly that, like, going back to my earlier point, like, this, for me, is a movie that I appreciate for its return to a lot of, sort of, action conventions, distillation of aspects of base form, but it still preserves aspects of a lot of those action movie conventions and Bay's form that I don't particularly like. <laughs> um, and, like, so, like, for me, like, the, the Will character is, like, he works. He's functional, but, like, I don't, like, love the character. And same thing with uh, Isa. Like, I just, again, like, I don't love the character. And, like, she's very, like, one-dimensional. In, like, in, not even in, like, necessarily, like, a detrimental way, right? Like, it's part of her character like, is that way, too. She seems kind of, yeah. like, single-mindedly obsessed yeah. with her job. Whereas, like, for me, like, the I just... Um, it's partly also that like Gyllenhaal's clearly like enjoying it and the, his character's supposed to enjoy it, right? Like the other two are right. Like man of honor and she's like super serious and like about the business. So like they're, they're not allowed, their characters aren't allowed to have that fun. So, which is why like for me, like Gyllenhaal is just like, he is so much fun and I, it's nice to see him actually in sort of like a let loose role again. Um, and cause like he has this, I talked about how he has this sort of like, he basically Gyllenhaal plays like either mopey or kooky or a combination of the two. And here it's like kooky, but he's allowed to sort of amp it up because it's bay to like a new level. It's not sort of like it's not Donnie Darko quirky or quirky kooky. It's like, you know, it's like go with it. Just ex explode. There's an intensity about Gyllenhaal in some of his like later career uh, performances, you know, like in uh, obviously Nightcrawler or Prisoners, Denny News film. Yeah, uh, he that he can do here. You're right. He's having enemy. more enemy. Yeah, <laughs> enemy. Yeah, yeah. Here you you get a bit more as you say that um, it, it's amped up a little bit. It I think this strikes a nice balance that he in Bong Joon Ho's Okja he's a bit more over the top than here. And I, I think seen this that, uses so. him a bit better. Yeah, I would say so. Okja and Velvet uh, Budsaw both play him as kind of the kookiness, but as a 
not as a movie star character. Here he's a movie star character. Like, this is one of those other underrated aspects of Bay is that Bay appreciates the power of a movie star to anchor a film. And so often a thing that's undersaid, especially as we move into a more franchise-dominated culture where lore and um, interconnectivity and extra-textual information kind of defines character and performance more than the actor, the traditional Hollywood style is that the actor defines the character through like you know if in the in the actor's them. extra textual not the story exactly exactly and so it's the idea that like you get the character has bare bones that's all you need because the actor will supply all the other the 80 percent and jake gyllenhaal does it there and i think and but if you look through bay's whole career he does it sean connery and nicholas cage ben affleck and bruce, bruce willis, willis shia um, labeouf at shia the height Le- of his power mark Wahlberg. mark Wahlberg. Ryan Reynolds, he understands the ability of putting an actual Hollywood star in the center of something and allowing those that actor's dimensions to fill in some of the blanks. That Don't just you helped think- me understand something weird about the Transformers films, which is... You know, and I'm not actually the biggest fan of, of them, but yeah, I'm not they, a fan of them um, at all. I don't like any of them. But the like, I think Transformers Two: Revenge of the Fallen is one of the worst. Uh, of I think Bay's. that's probably Bay's worst movie. I think it's one of the yeah, if not his worst film. But the what I appreciate is like thinking about this is the, there's a weird thing where the Transformers films are a franchise to some degree, and pe- people who are obviously no doubt they're based on toys. They have this elaborate lore, but like a lot of the target audience doesn't care about the lore the way superhero fans do like you can kind of walk into one and kind of just go with it and it still relies a lot on the star power and even the quirky character actors whether it's Totoro it's more like or... Fast and Furious exactly and so the the you're franchise, right preserving the... preserving the uh, the franchise isn't like the, the no. purpose and but yet it brings people in and then the other stuff so like this i think why all the french transformers films have been big big successes is because they they cross beyond that people who are just going for the transformers franchise into people who are going for the big actors the you know the quirky characters the the action scenes and stuff doesn't even the mark the shift to mark Wahlberg kind of like um remind you a bit of some of the like shifts in fast and furious where you like you pivot with some of your cast yeah i think so yeah Within the... Yeah, bringing in the rock. It's the kind of new stage of action star. Yeah, that's the thing is that Bay does adjust in to the the climate, but this movie very much is his kind of he's getting back to basics, back to roots. And apparently, part of the reason he made this movie was because Steven Spielberg, who's his producer of Transformers movies, was like, mm-hmm. Michael, you're too talented to spend all your time making Transformers movies. Go make a movie for yourself that's not a franchise and not like a big budget one just goes to make something that makes you want to make movies and this is the result back to your like your actor thing like don't you also think that like jake gyllenhaal's character probably wouldn't be likable if it wasn't played by jake gyllenhaal oh definitely oh, yeah. not he's, be, just, he's kind he's of awful. a psychopath. like our sympathy for the characters very much because of jake gyllenhaal playing the character because we we sort of almost intuit that he has um, more soul and sensitivity because it's Jake Gyllenhaal. Because he's shown us in other roles. Yeah, exactly. and, and and even the fact that he's like a good sibling, we kind of like believe because he's Jake Gyllenhaal. Like there, the movie I think actually really works with 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 him. I I think that that character, like Gyllenhaal, it's a star performance and it's it's using Gyllenhaal's strengths as an actor, but while also allowing him to have fun. And when he has yeah. fun, we have fun. But um, so Matt Lynch. A critic who was like very popular on Letterbox had one of the other raves of this movie, <laughs> rave <laughs> review, and he made a really brilliant comparison to Collateral because that's a movie where you're the bad guy is extremely charismatic. The bad guy here is Danny, 
Jake Gyllenhaal, but he's extremely charismatic and we're on his side and we're in his vehicle. And the whole kind of um, Stockholm syndrome that kind of plays out in that where even though, you know, in this case, Cam in the back, she's, uh, you know, she wants to be free, but she ultimately becomes aligned with him over the other powers that be that are actually much more nefarious because you want to be, you know, the, the villain you know is better than the villain you don't kind of thing. But also it made me think about how I think the only other actor I could see playing Danny is Tom Cruise. <laughs> if he was younger. No, yeah. no younger yeah. Tom Cruise because the kind of monomaniacal, insane, like where the energy. And so I want to see him, Tom Cruise in a Michael Bay movie. That'd be pretty fun. Honestly, because the, is there any actor who is more go, go, go than Tom Cruise? No, man, if it was a movie where he's just go. running. Like you can't Maybe we can talk about when we talk about action movies, but the, the things I've heard about the upcoming two Mission Impossible films are kind of crazy. So Yeah, maybe we can bring that up then in a bit, actually. But I, it, So are there any kind of closing comments? So, so Anton, you, yeah, you I can just want to basically say, like, so, like, I like... I like this movie. I'm, I think I may be liking this movie even more in the process of us talking about it because I, I'm liking how much it does distill like sort of Bay's best aspects. And there's something, there is something elegant about it. Like that it's, it's just a nice, like it's very streamlined and focused. Um, it still includes some of the Bay stuff. I don't like, I didn't talk about it that much, but like I've never liked Bay's like, sort of like all the crew their banter for some reason i just oh it always comes across as like not that funny for me and kind of like obnoxious and it's all that way like all the way back to like armageddon yeah but oh armageddon's terrible for that stuff but it get it gets by just because the cast the, is so great it's not even sort of the offensive side no it's just no like no, i don't I know, find I it funny it's, exactly like, but it's there's partly because it's like that, that are like, just banter like, like making a joke about like steve buscemi's like ex-wives or being like going to the strip club and things like that they're like whatever they are but like it gets away with it because the, the supporting cast is like buscemi is one of the most memorable parts of that of that movie right even though he's like a supporting character um, but um, I agree with you. Like he still has a few of those moments in here, and I think it f- that fits in with his like uh, sort of. There is a sort of, and I know and totally know that it's what bugs a lot of people about his movies. There's a broiness. There's a massive oh, yeah. macho ness to his movies, <laughs> even in this movie where he's trying to, um, you know, broaden his dem- demographic uh, inclusion in terms of like you have a woman as one of the three leads you have you know um agent clark is gay and it's just incidental to the plot it's sort of you know yep. brought in uh you have that kind of stuff in here and, and he avoids some of the more overtly uh, misogynistic and uh crude stuff in some of his other films but <laughs> at the same time you're like some of the characters act so cruel and hateful to each other all the time it's something i wrote in armageddon yeah that, like yeah. there's the line in armageddon where like uh you know the guy who discovers the the, the asteroid is like, you know, I want to name it Dottie after my wife because it's a, you know, blood-sucking bitch from which there's no escape or whatever. Like, why, why, why that line? It's just so mean. And in this one, also, you have the, like, uh, the marriage counseling scene with Agent Clark and his husband, which you're like, okay, I understand it's establishing he's, uh, you know, a professional man with a fam, uh, you know, partner and, and all these things and all that. But it's like, also, it's like, of course, he has to be kind of a jerk to his husband. <laughs> Like, why? Yeah, like I why? don't, I don't actually think that scenes about like establishing that he's like sort of a family man. It's because like we don't it's more established later on no, nothing of his backstory. I think it establishes him yeah. as a jerk and a square. Like actually, also kind of a counter to Danny too. This you know what that plays into, and the bro thing is absolutely correct. And I, I don't fault anybody for not liking the content of Bay or and stuff. It's, it's more of just that those kind of um, 
jokes and banter that you point out, Anton, that is absolutely what happens when a bro-y macho guy or wannabe macho guy is trying to fraternize with you. That's how they do it. And it personally, like in real life, it always takes me aback and I always kind of get annoyed at the person where I'm like, I just met you and you're trying to banter with me and you're just being an asshole. And or you realize that that's... No, but you realize that that's just the way that they're like coded to try and bond. I get that. Like, I think <laughs> it's not so much the broiness; it's that I don't find. Maybe it's just that it's I don't not really, funny to me. I though. don't, <laughs> find, but like, I don't find Bay funny, and that's basically consistent on I mean, most of his movies. That like his sense of humor, like whether it's like the physical action or like the lines, like I don't actually like laugh at his movies. The only thing I was laughing at in this movie was like Jake Gyllenhaal's expressions and stuff, and like the way his eyes are bugging out behind his mask and like stuff like that. Like I like. So I I find Martin Lawrence hilarious in the Bad Boys. Like movie. I don't I don't like, like the, the Bad only, Boys movies. It's like the only movies where uh, I find Martin Lawrence. I don't funny, like Will Smith weird. in them. Like I don't I don't like Pain Bad Boys very funny. at all. Yeah, no, Pain Game. I haven't seen Pain Game, and I need to. I actually think the funniest moments of this movie are where Bay. It's it's not like a winking at the audience with the amplification of what he's doing, but there are certain scenes where he is he is playing it up and he like allows a beat because you know t- timing is is the biggest thing with humor, right? It's like when it lands and how it lands. And there's the there's the shot of after they've like run over the one guy with the Birkenstocks, right? <laughs> and he's on the ground and yeah. there's like the huge shootout and one and the one guy who was driving that car gets blown away and then the cop happens to just shoot. There's like a big teddy bear on the ground and he just shoots the teddy bear, <laughs> which I just like <laughs> burst out into that. laughter in the, yeah. in the theater. I remember I was just that. Like, yeah. This is so ridiculous. He, so like, but example of the is, humor, like, so take the guy with the Birkenstocks. I thought it was funny that the guy with the Birkenstocks, who's sort of like the, you know, like the tech guy was wearing them at the start, but then like the payoff of him being like his midsection being run over by a car, like wasn't really funny. Like I'm laughing because more just like, how it's is disturbing. that a joke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, but like, I kind of like that. He, he reminded me a bit of the, the tech guy in Die Hard. Like he's trying to be like really sort of, uh, ostentatious. And, but it's also a different type of bro. <laughs> the guy who's a bit of like a surfer look yeah yeah it's probably coming across in this and i am like raving about this movie i had such a good time i this. did too i was i was like cackling in the theater with glee and i was so excited watching it where coming out of it i'm like oh this is what must like the nerds get watching yeah. spider-man I, I couldn't like go to sleep right away because i was just like i felt like i was still like buzzing from the action um and and you know Considering the how I, I didn't really enjoy our lot the last movie we talked about on this podcast, and uh, people may find that shocking that yeah I definitely really enjoyed this one. It's ambulance what, over bat the Batman. oh yeah a- ambulance is way oh, better man. than Batman. <laughs> oh man, I, I think this this might be my favorite movie I've seen this year. <laughs> ten out of ten. <laughs> no, no, but I think this is an eight out of ten at this point for me i mean I, my thing is that like for a michael bay movie i almost i can't ask for anything more than this basically or else it wouldn't be a michael bay movie well, the only way thing is that the rock gives you nicholas cage and sean connery which no, is it's sean connery is the greatest movie star ever so. yeah <laughs> oh, and this man, you know connery. quotes one of his most famous lines <laughs> we're not gonna say it <laughs> Yeah, we we're not. This is not an explicit podcast. That's true. So, ambulance is currently playing exclusively in movie theaters. Police are following these two suspects. Get chill out. Get chill out. Hit me up. What's going on in there? 
These guys are nut jobs. Right here it is. Sailing takes me away to where I've always wanted to be. Hey, what's up, big guy? Just waking up? Just you wait and see. Does your wife know you're up, Banks? So while we're discussing Michael Bay, I think we might as well transition the conversation over to discuss contemporary action cinema in general. So in my keynote, I mentioned that Michael Bay helped shape modern Hollywood. Now, his garish action movies in the 1990s became touchstones for action blockbuster filmmaking, while Transformers movies were some of the first franchise action juggernauts. So basically, without Bay, we wouldn't have the Fast and Furious saga, we wouldn't have the films of Marvel, that idea of the blending of militarization with the kind of safe blockbuster crowd thing like that's very much his approach building off of the 1980s so basically the question here is has contemporary hollywood left bay behind so his netflix movie six underground starring ryan reynolds was supposedly a hit back in 2019 but it's always hard to really tell whether a streaming movie is actually a hit because it's all behind closed doors but so now he's back in theaters and ambulance only made 8.7 million dollars on its opening weekend which even with the modest budget that's a failure so is there a place for Michael Bay in the modern world of blockbuster filmmaking? Has action cinema passed him by? Or going further, is there even such a thing as action cinema anymore? Like action cinema apart from franchises. So I thought we could talk about this. We could maybe talk about some action movies that, you know, we think are actual genuine action movies or franchise movies that hold it. So um, Anton, you have something? Wanna yeah, yeah. Like so, going? I, so basically, like I think your question about like whether... Uh, Hollywood or audiences have moved beyond Bay, I think is maybe the wrong question. It's like Bay in this mode. Because I, I actually think that maybe if Bay made another Transformers <laughs> movie, it would be successful. But Bay trying to return to kind of um, a 90s type story. Because I mean, basically this is a return to action movie as uh, guys with guns and cars. And that's just the domain. And it's not the Fast and the Furious, which is pushed into spy superheroes Levels of cartoonish action. I was going to say something about the Fast and Furious films, which is that they started as action films. Literally, point break. They show the progress of it, right? And then, as franchise films become the thing in the 2010s, it shifts into becoming a basically a superhero or super spy franchise. Yeah. Fast Five, when The Rock joins. Which is a great... One of the best, maybe it's my the favorite best, film in the series. I think it's the best one, yeah. yeah. So, but like, so like, you know, like if you remember last summer when we did uh, whatever number of Fast and the Furious, yeah. F9, you know, like I, I moderately liked it, but like this movie almost makes me like that movie less because I'm like, I, like, I don't need that like Fast and the Furious franchise. I couldn't almost care less about like the franchise aspect of it. Whereas like having a movie where it's like cops, robbers, they got to get them really good car chases and some cool action and it's just sort of like focused and it's not trying to save the world or anything like that that is refreshing as a return to that earlier form um but i'm not sure i'm not sure there's a market for it and but at the same time this is so this is the other thing i just want to tie in is that conversely like at the same time the franchise films which dominate the action have increasingly bad action apart from snyder and even like Army of the Dead, I didn't, you know, love in comparison to uh, Justice League. But like 
like I was thinking about the last Matrix movie and how weak the action was compared to all the previous Matrix, films, Matrix yeah. movies, and partly because it was doing this stuff where you're like, you know, like people at the scene where they're driving around the city and they're throwing the bodies off, and I was like, this is stupid because I don't go to a Matrix movie for that. I go to a Matrix movie to have like a really cool gunfight and some awesome kung fu. <sighs> okay, like so. I really like Ambulance for the this sort of return to form, but it's I'm, so I'm worried rare. that it's it's past. The yeah, I'm I'm going you know going through my my film diary. It's it's hard to find any pure action films that aren't either science fiction or spy franchises in in some way. Like um, I honestly, I occasionally will like go back to this. I think watching a lot of those '90s action movies for this very reason. You you mentioned uh, in the past my my love of Ronin, the yeah. uh, John Frankenheimer yeah. film. Uh, you know, amazing just, car chase. It's, yeah, such great. It obviously is not a Bay film. It, it has a it's a <laughs> David Mamet script. <laughs> it's a little more like oblique and uh, has a lot more resting times in it, but. You know, there's there's something for those really, uh, but in the 2000s, I think even 15 years ago, you had or 17 years ago, you had things like uh, Collateral uh, and other films yeah. like that that were still Michael Mann, Michael still, Mann around, still makes but... them. That's why I think why I like Den of Thieves quite a bit because I think that was one of the only like actual action films. But I don't think the action's as as good as what you have. But that's still here. a heist movie, right? Yeah, because yeah, like the a... the Mission Impossible movies are the same thing where they've like. They became kind of like a franchise film, and it's it's and saved the world. They are. And they, yeah, it's but they it's, still do it's, action, They're the best. They're right? the best. Like real serious, pure great to pure be fair, action. No time but, to die had some great action in it. But they're into that. Like they're already into that. Like um, the franchise where it saved the world, and the the stakes are so high. Like they're blockbusters yeah. in the modern mode of blockbuster. I would yes. say the the you know I I there was a period on the site where I would write constantly about kind of bemoaning about action and culminated in my death of the American action scene essay in 2014, where I was just like, even in movies I like Americans just don't know how to film action. They just, it sucks. Or they won't take so it just, on its own. So like even something like John wick, which I liked the first one, like they turn it into this elaborate mythology. Well, that's yes. the thing. So the, the first John wick is amazing. And I like the, I know you don't like the second one, Anders, and you haven't watched the third. Or no, I've seen them all now. I didn't like the second. So I like the second and the third, but it's diminished returns and the franchise elements, which I think yeah. are, in, are fine. Hmm. It's just, I think it bloats out from what the actual appeal of the first John Wick, which yes. is 100 minutes. It's Keanu Reeves. It's elegant, right? They kill his dog. Well choreographed He's, action. It, well, well, see, there's the thing. Like the 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 sequels for John Wick have really well choreographed yeah. action scenes, but that's the, that's I love the thing the fight that makes with them the good. Third one with Boyan Marjanovic, but. but they're interrupted <laughs> by the franchise. Aspect. They're up to right, exactly, and they're too long. The movies are just too long. Ambulance is long, but I don't think it's too long. Well, so here's here's the my other thing. I mean, I thought that the cartel stuff maybe was a bit of bloat. And it, like, I don't know, you wouldn't get that, like, you probably could have done it in a slightly more condensed manner, where maybe you get, like, yeah. the surprise where they blow them up. But, like, I did feel a little bit of, like, we're, we're going a little bit past the goalpost and, like, a pushing a little bit further. But No, that's fair. It's just, like, so I would say John Wick was the movie that I kind of identified as, okay, this is the movie to bring back choreography to action cinema. 
in America because it is incredibly well choreographed. And of course, it makes sense. It's made by stuntmen. Yep. Like it's made by people whose light living is about choreographing and executing physical stunts on set. Michael Bay is, you know, a person who really respects that work. Yep. And he uses it in this movie. But I don't know if there's any movies so even John Wick morphed into a franchise because it was too popular that this is the way the Hollywood model works. I think the only examples for action movies now are just you, you occasionally get some foreign oddities, which are more pure action cinema in just like that's the only genre. It's action. It might be a kung fu movie, it might you know, it might be something like the raid. I'm I'm thinking of uh, maybe Liam Neeson movies. They're usually <laughs> thrillers too. Uh, Michael but, was it? What, what's the name? Um, Yomi Colette Sarah? Yeah. Jaime, Jaime, Jaime Colette Sarah, whatever his name. Who's that? Sorry. The guy he who... did The Commuter. He did Unknown. It's true. Mike oh, Lee sorry. He's, he's the director be... of those? A lot okay. of them. Yeah. yeah. Like, but they're still, like, those are, what I like about them is that they trade on, like, it's Liam Neeson being Liam Neeson. It's always a different character yeah. and a different story, but there's sort of that, like, action star aspect. And then they're, like, relatively modest in terms of what they're trying to accomplish it's true and i still watch those i think they've gone they've kind of fallen off like you have to yeah specific director will make it like it, you have to look at who directed them and yeah and kind of pick because if you watch something like honest thief or something and it's <laughs> it's it's like fine it's fun for nick uh for liam neeson and stuff but i think action has really kind of gone into that almost directed video right where you get nick yeah. cage yeah. and seagal and those kind of hang Jean-Claude Van Damme and and then you get the whole um Scott Adkins like directed video stuff which is all about action but like the really stupid movies yeah right I think then you have to go then to watching some you know some, still some stuff out of Hong Kong or the occasional like Michael Mann like so Black Hat or does this does this mean that action in our uh in a sort of like more traditional understanding the action movie right like without without um modifier or like dash Right, like action, sci-fi, action, superhero. So in its sort of purer form, in some sense, it's becoming like a niche. So yeah, like it, it so. still exists, yeah. but it's sort of relegated to a niche market. You know, streaming will supply some of these, but we're not getting the one. We're not getting as many of them that were. You know, every year you get a few of these with a high-profile actor, and it would be. And, well, you almost only get them with regards to certain actors. So you get Liam Neeson ones. Yeah. You get Gerard Butler ones. <laughs> yeah, That's you're about right. it. You're no, right. but the He's... the the action film. This is something I actually saw someone talk about on Twitter. Twitter, but I can't actually remember it specifically. But like the the action movie as defined as the '80s genre. Um, you know, is really kind of faded. It's been absorbed into, um, like, other kinds of films, either heist films or uh, superhero films and, and things like of that sort. Like, it really yeah. is at this point a kind of, like, it's well past its heyday of, like, 20 years ago. Well, and this is kind of what, that's kind of what happened to sci-fi for a period, and then, mm. you know, we're kind of in the sci-fi revival. So there's a there's a chance that yep. action comes back sure. on just its own. I do I, wonder, right though, now. how much of it is the... The sort of we've talked about the machoness in someone like Bay and stuff like, but there's something about a lot of action movies that were very like macho, and we're a moment where even our action is sort of filtered through other alternative sensibilities rather than that sort of like macho mode. So it, it might also be a slightly a cultural thing. I but I think it might be that I think that might be a bit of a launder an ideological laundering mm. for where it's a cover for economic reasons, where it's just That's that. True. Action requires um, technical know-how. It requires 
extreme onset safety. Yep. It requires you to have stunt people and drivers and actual practical effects that you have to know how to do. And frankly, um, directors who, like myself, who only know how to use digital cinema are not used to rehearsals. Mm-hmm. You don't do rehearsals, but an action movie requires absolute rehearsals. It requires things to work as clockwork. Okay. Yeah, so somebody like Christopher so Nolan can do that. I mean, we forget. Go ahead, we forget that. No, well, fine. we we forget that. Like, if you go back to like, right, like um, the great action in a lot of like Indiana Jones and stuff. Like, so a lot of these sequences were not even shot by Spielberg. They were shot by the second unit. So like, there's there's aspects where like, like I don't know all the all all the details of how it works now, but I do think a second unit that can really just like even do like that sort of action is like something that's declining. So there's two things, Aaron. You mentioned the the turn to digital filmmaking. It's true now that anyone with an iPhone can shoot some pretty good footage potentially that's the you know been the promise for the last 15 years right that 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 is true that any now we we've democratized filmmaking but you're right there is certain amount of technical knowledge and uh, budget to make a an action movie that even having a high quality digital camera at home isn't going to fix yeah no kid can afford a car to blow another interesting thing is i think we've we've talked uh, a little bit in our you know like in our oscar uh special about musicals also as a failure is sort of you know they they come here back now and again but it's another genre that requires a lot of technical skill to do dancing to do singing and i think that the action movie in many ways is much more similar to it met a lot of the same technical and uh certain needs as like musicals actually in the past yes. in some ways yep. and the other the other comparison i would make is that a lot of, on a narrative level a lot of action movies were essentially melodramas and, pe- and male melodramas and people today don't have a real taste for melodramas. Ironically, the romantic comedy is also somewhat of a... Uh, yeah, it's gone yeah, at least to streaming and television. It I think used for the to most be part, conventional classics. But they used to be female. big movies, right? Like, I mean, like no, I think about Julia Roberts. Get, yeah, you get two big movies at the weekend. The idea was that one's for men, one's for yeah. women, but they're both actually very similar in terms of plot construction. Yeah, exactly. What what are the set pieces of the individual genre? So I think yeah. the on a, the action movie suffers at this moment on both a the, the emotional willingness to play into melodrama and the, uh, the as you said the technical knowledge that also hurts like doing musicals and things like that. So I'll say one more thing with that. It's also a matter of again economics having to do with unions, having to do with so so one of the tr- I'm not going to go into a huge thing here but basically one of the trends in Hollywood with CGI use is that CGI post houses are non-unionized mm-hmm. therefore yeah, they're yeah. cheaper so you're actually incentivized to cut costs for a movie to make all the things in post than to actually get unionized stunt people practical effects work pyrotechnics is, all that other stuff is that why set. we always get like um that's why marvel C- does cgi, CGI animals in, instead of mm-hmm. like getting like an actual animal and a wrangler yeah. and all that sort of stuff it's like you know it'll be like it'll be a, an animal you should be able to have in a film like a deer but it's always like a fake cgi deer now yes because you'd have to have an animal wrangler to have yeah. to be ethically sourced which is extra costs yeah. you'd have to make sure that that deer is not being mistreated and another thing, if you're doing like an action movie, so this I learned because of listening to things about the third John Wick movie. So in the third John Wick movie, Halle Berry has two dogs that she uses to sick on people. The whole thing is that in a movie where you actually have dog actors on screen doing it, once you teach a dog to attack somebody, that dog can never act in another movie ever again because you cannot ever unteach it on set to do that. You've, you've now broken through a barrier saying that the action is jump, 
go at like the chest yeah that actor that dog has to retire hmm. like you're not using that dog again yeah and so that's a huge like resource yeah thing yeah, here, yeah and no, it's I see a cost what you're so i think all these things play into it too where it's action movies require planning money and technical know-how and then also there's the sensibilities of the audience as well but i think that economic point that you make is a really important one uh in terms of the the use of skilled labor and unionized labor and, and those kind of things because you can't you cannot crash a car on set unless you have people who know how to do it safely you're gonna kill people <laughs> and which insurance and uh it's almost as we all know and as all as we all know like things can go really bad if yeah you know, why do you think we hear all these things about sets people dying on sets it's because sets are actually less safe than they used to be because mm-hmm. the studios are cutting costs it's a it's a kind of sad note to end yeah. the episode on, but it's it's these it's useful sometimes to think about these economic things that define trends and might be playing in the background. Not everything is just tastemakers. Mm-hmm. Not everything is just Twitter trends. Not everything is politics necessarily. Lots of it is is economics. Well, if you liked what you've heard, we hope you did. Um, please rate, share, let us know your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. Um, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to catch you on the next episode of Three Brothers Filmcast. Goodbye, Mr. Baldwin. I bid you farewell. <laughs>